Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, uh, there's one in the pew in front of you. Turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be starting with verse 26. We're on the, the back half, or for you golfers, the last nine, the back nine of chapter 14. And so, as we begin that today, let's pray. God, thank you for what we've experienced Already in song and worship and narration, Lord, and may now your word be shared, Lord, and permeate our hearts. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. In today's scripture, Paul is wrapping up his section on the importance of order in worship. We like order in our lives, don't we? We like it when things are what we call normal. When we say we want things to be normal, what we're saying is we want them to be in order because that's what we're used to, right? And on occasions when things have the possibility to get out of hand, we like to have safeguards. For example, if you're at a large event, you hope like a a ball game or a concert, you hope that there are first responders, you hope that there are people that are keeping order. Or in a church business meeting, maybe you've heard of the Roberts Rules of Order. You know, you don't want anybody to, to speak out of turn. And that also in courts and political sessions, if you can bear to watch any of that, you'll hear the moderator say, so-and-so has five minutes, they yield their time, and, and nobody ever really yields anything there. But anyway, that's, they do have a system in place, and they have sessions there, rules and moderators. But in Baptist churches, we have the bulletin. The bulletin gives us order, right? The purpose of worship is to focus on the gospel. It is to focus on Jesus being born, living a sinless life, dying for our sins, being resurrected, and returning one day, giving God the glory and the praise for redeeming us. So when worship loses order... Now, I'm not saying, when I say order, I doesn't mean we have to be stoic and be like the frozen chosen and just sit there with no look on our face and not respond. But there again, I'm not saying we have to hop pews and take laps. I'm just saying that when we are together with our congregation, there needs to be some type of order. That is what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, because when worship loses order, the focus shifts. If you have ever been in a worship service where it got out of order, the, the, the big emphasis becomes on the person that is causing that. Whether it be a fight in a business meeting or whether it be a worship service where all of a sudden somebody is speaking for themselves and not literally for any benefit but them to make themselves look good. All of these different things. When we seek to have order not happen in our congregation, not happen in our worship services. God doesn't, he's not the focus. God doesn't get the glory. It's the people that are looking for that focus. You see, without order, things get out of control. You may not be too far removed for this. Some of you are, but we all remember having substitute teachers in school. Remember substitute teachers? Any of y'all ever, any, have any of y'all ever been a substitute teacher? God bless you. God bless you. So you, you, you can give me some uh, pointers on this, but sometimes substitute teachers will be there for a day or two, or sometimes I remember some, I can't even get it out, substitute teachers 
were there for maybe a maternity leave or someone got sick or whatever it may be. But there's one thing for certain. Students often felt like they could get away with more with a substitute teacher than they could with their regular teacher. The new teacher, the substitute, would come in and they would either start off really strong and everybody would just kind of disregard them. Or there would be some that would come in and they would try to be their best friends and they would get overrun. There's a balance there. But yes, being a substitute teacher is a thankless job, but it is an important one. Because a teacher is not the one they're used to. Some students feel like they can act out. Some think that they can take advantage of the situation. This is exactly what Paul was addressing in his letter to the Corinthians. We have already talked about spiritual gifts. We've talked about speaking in tongues. We've talked about prophecy. And now we will look at how this plays out in practical terms in the worship service at Corinth. I was reminding the church at Corinth to do whatever they can to make Jesus and the gospel the focus of their worship, not the performances and not the use of the spiritual gifts. So bottom line, worship should be about should not be about us. Worship should not be about us. We should make it about him and lifting Jesus up. So let's jump into scripture. We're going to have a fun ride this morning. Everything in a worship service should benefit, or some translations say edify, everyone in the worship service. Verse 26 says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. So he's saying, okay, I'm wrapping up this section of my letter. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, Another will tell some special revelation that God has given them. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. It's okay to participate in these things, to do these things. But you have to make sure that when you put them together, they are benefiting Everyone, if there's only one or two people exercising a gift and everybody's looking at them and the focus becomes hearing them talk and hearing what they say, or it's it's even better, like it probably in some churches it got to where nobody would say anything because they knew the one or two people that always answer it would say it. It's got to benefit everybody. And here we see Paul. Basically, Paul is giving us the bulletin for their services. He says you have a hymn, instruction, revelation, speaking in tongues, and interpretation. So when you meet together, have some type of structure that gives glory to God. Believe it or not, I know that that churches like ours, we have bulletins and and we have information for you to see throughout the week. and, And the services where we map out, this is a prelude, this is a hymn, this is a special, this is all of the stuff that we map out. You may think, oh, that's such a Baptist thing. But there is order. You want me to show you what happens when there is no order? Don't have a bulletin. Well, what are we going to do? I mean, the truth is most of us could probably make it through the service without a bulletin because we're just trained to do that. But at the same time, there may be somebody there that doesn't know what's going on. Well, you see, the bulletin does not override the importance of what is to occur in the worship service. It gives Order to all those who are participating. And, and worship involves more than one person. 
You see, Paul is encouraging the church to find one person that could check all the boxes of each spiritual gift and be able to lead the worship on their own. He's not encouraging that. He's not looking and saying, hey, pick out one person in your church and have them do everything. He is saying in your church you have different people with different gifts. Don't let one or two people monopolize everything. Use the gifts God has given you to worship together. One person has the ability, another one has a different ability, but all the gifts must be used to build up the church. That's the way he says in verses 3 through 5. Worship will take a much bigger presence when it is not focused on a few people in one style or one gift. You know, there is nothing more frustrating than investing time into a movie or, or nowadays binge watching a series on a streaming service and, and you go through that whole service, you sit in that movie theater for two hours or you, you, uh, put things to the side and you watch this television series or some of you will just get into a book and not come out of it only to get to the end and say, what did I read? What did I see? That didn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, that's, I understand. I've seen movies like that and read books like that. But at the same time, if people are spending an hour or more in a worship service and they leave here saying, what was all that about? We've missed it. That is what Paul is saying here. The church of Corinth, however, it looked different than the way church looks today. You see, the Christians in Corinth would not have met in a beautiful sanctuary like this. Most of them were meeting in small groups. They were meeting in homes. They had home churches, groups of 10 to 12 scattered all over the city. And so it was easier for when you have a smaller group. Okay, what can you, can you do this? Can you do that? Okay, let's just join together and let's worship. You know, hey, we've got a group together. Sally can sing. John can read a psalm. Peter can prophesy. Ralph can speak in tongues. And Sue can interpret them. Hey, this will be a great service. All of us participating together using our gifts. So each church home had their own leaders. And this is how some churches still work even today with small home fellowships. But what was happening in Corinth is that these churches were starting to find places to meet together. And they were not churches like this. They were lecture halls. They were meeting spaces. They were public meeting spaces. And so as the as believers began to worship and their groups would grow, they would have to find larger facilities. And then so the smaller churches, they wanted to bond together. And so they became bigger churches. Now, there's only one problem with this. Have you ever heard of the illustration of the big apple on the little tree? Yeah, everybody in these small groups, they were once the center of everything in this worship service. Now when they were getting together, everybody from every small group wanted to have a part in it. And there was no order to it, and people were just kind of trying to, to get their their uh, their gifts, what they had to say, out. Some of the Big Apple leaders in the small trees wanted the same prestige and opportunities of bigger venues. You know, you've seen it when you've been in a class and that one student who always has a comment that their experience goes right in line with what the teacher is saying. And then while adding a little bit more that they have learned to enlighten the teacher on what they're talking about on every single subject. Sometimes I just want to ask them, hey, brother, I didn't take this class for you to teach it. I want to hear it from the teacher. But these people were just kind of kind of showing off. 
because they had been big on the little tree and now it was just getting to be chaotic. But now we see here in verses 27 through 33, he gives us some practical advice. He says, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present, who can interpret? They must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Again, we learned last week that Paul said the gift of tongues is primarily not to show off in a worship service. It is a language that is directed between you and God alone to use in your private time, to use in your prayer time. And then prophecy, the audience, was the people that God has placed you in front of. He says in verse 31, In this way, all who prophesy will turn to speak after one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Notice what he said. This is literally, one will speak one after the other, not at the same time. I've been in worship services where you got one one person speaking tongues over here, one shouting prophecy over here, one clapping over here, one, and it's just, you're like, what's going on here? And that's what was happening in the church at Corinth. Now, it says in verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. In other words, just cause the Lord wells it up in your spirit and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it doesn't mean you need to speak right at that moment and speak over somebody else. Verse 33, this is a popular verse and we usually use it out of context, but it still works. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in the meetings of God's holy people. What Paul was doing here is he was giving the church some stoplights, some bridges, some guardrails. If you've ever been driving through the city or even in the country and you've, there's this stoplight that you're familiar with and maybe a storm or whatever, but it's not working, and it's a busy intersection, it gets harrowing really fast, doesn't it? Because there's no order. There's no one saying, okay, you come, you go. Then the police or fire will come there and they'll start directing traffic. And then everything starts flowing again. And so what Paul is doing here for the worship services is he's giving them the infrastructure to say, hey, it's, it's not unspiritual to plan out and to consider one another in worship so that when you worship, you can worship together and it makes sense. If there is confusion and disorder at a church meeting, it is not from God. That is what Paul is saying. There may be things that happen in the worship service that are hard to understand or simply supernatural move of God. But it should be observed and beneficial by everyone who is there. For me to stand up and say, I have a word for brother so-and-so right now that he's doing this or she's doing that. That is not prophecy. That is not speaking in tongues. That is Holy Spirit. That's called slander. That everything that we do must be able to edify or build up everyone. Okay, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, not really. Here we come to our next verse. I'm going to get a drink of water real quick. When you hear it, you'll see why I'm saying this. Paul's call, Paul calls out 
and I, I say this in air quotes, some women who were out of order. Paul calls out some women who were out of order. Here he goes. Put on your pew belts. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive. (laughs) I'm just checking. All right. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church meetings. Okay. <sighs> okay. All joking aside, I'm, I'm making, I'm, I'm kind of trying to lighten the mood. But look, when you get to this passage, there are some people that will be ready to breathe fire over this. And I hope, and it is my prayer after we get finished with this, look, it's not like I picked this topic. That's the beauty of preaching God's word through a book is because it always stays relevant and no one can say that I'm, I'm pigeonholing or, or, or nitpicking or targeting anybody. And I, I joked about hiding behind the pulpit, but the truth of the matter is I am never going to apologize for preaching the word of God. But I will say this. There are vast misinterpretations of this passage. It is my prayer that if you and I can look at this with an open eye and an open heart, it will begin to make sense. So again, women should be silent during church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Again, look at the context from which Paul is sharing this little tidbit of encouragement. What is the subject that he's talking about? This is not a referendum on women. This is not a referendum on women in ministry. This is not the one verse that, that typify, that, that, that signifies and is, encompasses everything about women in ministry. This is about having Order in a worship service. It is not Paul's blanket statement covering every woman in a church. And also, Paul is not forbidding a woman from praying and prophesying when the church gathers. If you go back and you remember in chapter 11, Paul makes it clear that the women had the right to pray and to prophesy publicly in chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. But you see, in the Corinthian culture, back in that day, women were not allowed to confront men in public. Apparently, what was happening here is that not this is not something for every woman, but there were some women in the church at Corinth that were publicly challenging some of the male spiritual leaders in the church, and they were causing disruption. He's dealing with some women, not all women. Paul is saying that these women who are not submitting to the order and the authority of their husbands and the male leaders in the church were causing disorder. There is an order. They were stepping outside of that order. 
and making waves. Some people would call that heroic. But Paul was saying, no, they were causing more problems because the focus was now on these women creating disorder than it is for the gospel being presented and Jesus being glorified. Among the Christians in Corinth, there seemed to have been a problem of women chattering or disrupting the meetings with questions. So, when we talk about order in worship, we talk about the men and the women going and telling their husbands or the, the male leaderships. I, I know that your minds are going in a million different places. And, and I have to say that because of the gospel, that God has set us free and women have many rights today that they didn't have when this was written. And I thank God for it because the gospel is what taught us to treat, treat people the same way. But I have to go back to what, if, if these women were out of order, what does that mean? Now, here, put on, put on your, uh, your thinking caps here for just a minute. I don't normally get this deep, but this warrants it. Because this is important. Paul is referencing God's model of order, which is creation. And I've given you the verses that support what I'm saying here. I have talked with plenty of married couples and and people getting married and talking about marriage and how God created us. And, And this is God's created order for our world that is coming under attack every single day. But the same people who get about submission they, they get mad about submission in marriage. They get mad about this text. But what I'm saying is in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is not 21 different genders listed in Genesis. Male and female, God created them. Genesis chapter 2, 21 through 23, it talks about how the Lord caused Adam to fall asleep. And he took a rib from Adam or a bone from Adam and the woman was created from him. And it says, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. There is a bond between a husband and a wife or the two become one. And you will never be able to, yes, you can get divorced. Yes, you can go on and do other things. But there will always be that bond that has brought you all together. Then he says to the woman in verse, and a lot of people don't catch this. Genesis 3.16. They've been busted. Okay. They, they did what God told them not to do. They hid from them. He busted them. Now he's given their punishment. And we see in Genesis 3.16. I don't know if you've ever caught this. But then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. God bless you, ladies. I am sorry for that. And he says, and in pain you will give birth. But then here's the thing. He says, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So you see here the whole reason our world and marriages And families and churches are fighting over the role of men and women in their churches because of the curse of sin. God created it to be a beautiful thing to where Adam and Eve worked together 
as partners. He would lead. She would follow. She would bring things to him that he didn't have and vice versa. They would complete one another together as two. They would be stronger than they were by themselves. That was the order, and that's the way it's going to be when we get into heaven, when the order is restored. But because of the curse, there is always the desire of the woman wanting what the man has and the man often not appreciating and pastoring and shepherding his wife or the females around him in the way that he should. It's a breakdown on both sides. And then Ephesians five twenty one through 32 Husbands submit to Christ, wives submit to husbands. We've talked about that before when it's come up and we've preached through the Bible. Look, I know everybody wants to say, okay, that Bible says the men want to get up and preach and say, the Bible says, wives, you need to submit to your husband. That is so unfortunate that someone make that the focus of that passage. Because also it says, husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And you are to sacrifice for them. And the reason, quite honestly, so many women have problems submitting to their husbands is because their husbands are not shepherding them and pastoring them in a way that God has called them to do. I am not going to throw a woman under a bus and use scripture passages to show it. But what I am hope that you get from you, you read these verses for yourself. There is an order that God created from the very beginning of time. And these verses that I'm talking about here, it's not a Baptist thing. It's a biblical thing. For, for people to say that women of today have come so much further is true, but you cannot say that God established order relating men and women, husbands and wife, church and leadership is outdated. It's what they call transcultural. There will be some people that would say, well, the way marriage was was portrayed in the Bible and it's portrayed in the Old Testament, it's portrayed in Genesis, that is outdated. This is a new day. That was written for back then. No, it was not. This is something that is transcultural. It goes from culture to culture to culture. And what is happening is our world is falling apart because they are rejecting God's ordained order. Look around you. How is it working when people reject the order that God created? There is chaos. And that is what we have. And here we go. The role of women in the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm sure that you've probably heard on newscasts or your news feeds a lot of things about what happened at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans this year. I did not go, but I watched it online, and I've had friends that done research, so I, I can understand what's going on here. There is a war right now. If you read headlines, it will say that, that, church, that Southern Baptist churches will not allow women to do anything in a church. That is not true. But at the same time, there are some things that have happened. So here we go. The purpose of this study that we're looking at today is not to look at an in-depth analysis of women in ministry right now. We don't have the time for that. If that's something y'all want to do, let me know, and we will do that. But again, Paul is addressing some women, not every, every woman, but some women who are causing disruption in, this, in the worship services. However, our Southern Baptist denomination has been thrust into the limelight for its stance against churches ordaining women as pastors. In recent years, uh, the, 
there were very, as a matter of fact, at last year's convention, there were two very prominent churches that hired or called women, ordained women, to be pastors on their staff. I'm not talking like a, a leader of a department. I'm talking about full-fledged pastor. And so they were voted on to be disfellowshipped. In other words, to no longer allow them to uh, represent and to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention because they were sending a mixed message about what we were about. This is what we are about, and this is what they were doing, and it didn't match with what the Baptist Faith and Message said. So this year it came, the two churches that were disfellowshipped came to 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 rally the troops and try to get that appealed. And that appeal failed by over 70% vote from all messengers. Messengers are people from churches around the nation that go to this convention and vote. This has come to the forefront in recent years with cultural shifts, attacks on biblical values, gender and personal rights being greater than the other rights of others. It should come as no surprise that there is a pushback to the concept of women being ordained as pastors. For years, Southern Baptists have listed in their Baptist faith and message, if you don't know what that is, that is the statement of what Baptists believe. It is the 2000 edition. And if you want to know what we believe about doctrine, about end times, about about freedom and all these different things, you can read that and see. And it's got scriptures for it, why we believe in all of that. And this thing about about pastors and elders has been in there for a long time. For years, Southern Baptists have listed in the Baptist faith and message um, areas like God, man, salvation, peace, war, and religious liberty. So the article in question is article number 11, which deals with the church. Now, each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through a democratic process, meaning that we are a Southern Baptist church. But there is no hierarchy, there is no headquarters telling us who to put in the pulpit. There is no headquarters telling us what we should do, what we should not do. It is just a, a, a convention of churches that are trying to work together to spread the gospel. But if all of a sudden we feel like we want to do something different, it's okay. We can, we can decide to pull away from that convention. One church that just did, you may have heard of... Um, um, elevation in Charlotte. They just pulled out of the convention. There was no fight. There was no nothing. They just said, look, we're just going to thank you. We're going to pray for you. We will be there for you, but we're just not, we're not going to fight that battle because they obviously they feel differently about the women in ministry and the ordained women pastors. So while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor, elder, an overseer is limited to qualified, or men as qualified by scripture, both added to the pastor to emphasize the office of leadership more than just a title. And I, I don't know if you can see it, but that is what they, the bold is, is what they added during this convention. That they added the words elder and overseer is limited to men as qualified in scripture. Now they will vote on that next year to make sure that it is, it is like official. But now, I, when I was preparing this, this series, I wasn't planning on getting this, but we're going to go to it. I want to share with you two concepts, complementarianism 
and egalitarianism. I'm telling you, I'm struggling hard preparing for this one. Complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Complementarianism is based on these verses. Timothy 2, verses 11 through chapter 3, 7. And then Titus 2, verses 2 through 6. And so complementarianism is the belief that men and women are created to complement each other. Like I was talking about earlier in Genesis with the distinct gender roles that promote spiritual health in the home and the church. So complementarian says God had a design, God had a purpose when he made male and female. He has gifted one with certain traits, others with certain traits, and when they come together, they complement one another. Now egalitarianism is based off of Galatians 3 verse 28. And that teaches that in Christ, there is no gender distinctions anymore because Galatians 3.8 says that we are all one in Christ. Men's and women's roles under this, they are interchangeable in church, in the leadership, in the household. So they just say they don't believe that God... The gender, male, female, and the way God has created that order, they don't believe that that is as important now because Jesus says we are all one in Christ, or Paul says that. Paul was teaching that regardless of what race, social status, or gender you came as to Christ, Christ makes us one in the terms of saying we all have the same status. That is where Paul was saying, look, we have, it doesn't matter because remember, Jews and Gentiles were getting saved. He was saying it's no longer the, the title that you wear. It is now, we are not this, but we are all Christians and we all are one. Now here is the slippery slope of egalitarianism. Denominations like Quakers, United Methodist Churches, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, Northern Baptist. Church of the Nazarene, Wesleyan Church, the Salvation Army, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and some Pentecostal churches ascribe to this egalitarian concept. But my friends, that is why even in these days they are struggling. These denominations that give in to egalitarianism are struggling because if you say that gender doesn't matter when it comes to who we elect as a pastor, understand you have said Gender doesn't matter. Do you see the slippery slope that's coming? So when you see that gender doesn't matter, that goes over into marriage. Okay, we can marry women and women, men and men, because gender doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ. Someone wants to be a transgender? That's okay. It's not about whatever gender they are. God, yeah, God had that design long ago, but that was back then because what Paul says, we're all one in Christ, so gender doesn't matter. And so they use this to justify the things that many of these denominations are dealing with today and that some of these denominations have split from today. I'm not saying the right and I'm not saying the wrong, but my friends, When you take the God-given order that was used and given at creation between male and female, 
And you take that and you throw it out the window. This is a slippery slope our world is living in today. So as we get back to the topic at hand, the whole thing of women being pastors in churches, this is it's kind of like they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So let me let me go on. We're, we're about done. Complementarianism celebrates the difference in God's ordained gender of male and female. Paul sides with complementarianism, citing the order of creation as the basis for his teaching. If you look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 13, Paul says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. We, we have said for a long time, look, at the end of the day, when I am judged before the Lord and I am held accountable for how I pastored and how I raised my family and how I pastored my wife. The ultimate person in charge, the point man, is going to be me. Men in this church, men that are watching this, if you have a family, you can try to blame it on your wife, you can try to blame it on the preacher, you can blame it on your job, you can blame it on anything else, but at the end of the day, God has created an order where you are the pastor and the shepherd of your family, and it is up to you to pastor and shepherd your family, to make your wife all that God has created her to be, but people are not doing that, and that is why we are in the situation that we are in. Complementarianism seeks to preserve the biblical differences between men and women's roles while valuing the quality and importance of both genders to unify the church. Just as there are biological differences in men and women, so are their roles God created them in your family, and in your church. J.D. Greer, who is the pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh and one of our former Southern Baptist Convention presidents, he says that the Baptist Faith and Message in 2000 says that the office of pastor is limited to qualified men. It seems we are at risk of focusing hard on the men part, and we have much less to say about the qualified part. But First Timothy th- First Timothy says that qualified men should be sober-minded, self-controlled, and not quarrelsome. And many of our engaged women in the SBC who are firmly in line with complementarianism, who are not trying to be pastors, they listen to this conversation and struggle to understand why we are so concerned that they are trying to take over our pulpits. The bottom line, women are vital to the growth and ministry of the church. The office of pastor, elder, or overseer. The person leading the vision and direction of the church. The authority figure is to be a male. Again, according to what Paul says, God ordained from the very beginning in Genesis. Because I'm telling you, churches would be in bad shape without the leadership of women. Because so many men refuse to stand up. We are dealing with semantics here, though. We're dealing with titles. A woman can be a director, a leader, a coordinator over a ministry, but ultimately they can minister in conjunction with or in submission to the leadership of the church. We have a worship leader. That's what her title is, worship leader. Donna has never once said, James, I I really want to be ordained and... And I want to be a pastor. I want to be on the board. I want to be on that stuff. She is serving and God is using her in great ways. We have had many women in our church that have served in positions that 
that are, and, and many of them don't want, they're not seeking the role of pastor, but for some people, they want to go against God's order. They want to go against God's created order and say that we need to be something that Scripture quite honestly does not support. The women in today's passages were causing a disruption in the church. Maybe they came from non-Jewish cultures that chose that, that taught them not to respect the male leadership of the church. But the goal was not building up those in the worship service. It was being heard. That is what they wanted to do. So those women could have gone to their husbands or leaders in the church, shared their prophecy and message from the Lord, and work with the leadership of the church to use it to build up the church. They could have shared their prophecy and message from the Lord and worked with the leadership of the church to use it to build up the church. They could have simply said to the pastor or the, the elders, or the overseers of the church, say, look, this is what God has showed me. This is what I prophesy. This is what I do. And I'm giving it to you to, to lead us with that. This is a word from God. It is using the order that God created. So finally... Our worship must make sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 36 through 40 says, Or do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forgive, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He says it right here. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. So what we see here is that order is found in the Bible. Paul is reminding the Corinthians who disagreed with him. And I would say to anybody who disagrees with what I have said today, look, I could be wrong. You feel free to sit me down and tell me another side of this. And I, I will go to the Scriptures and I will pray about it and I will seek that. But from my understanding of what the Scripture says, again, this is not a Baptist thing. It is a biblical thing. And the way I understand these Scriptures, this is the way he said it. But if you disagree with it, then you're disagreeing with the Scripture, and that is a dangerous place to be. Everything that has been shared today is not a Baptist thing, it's a biblical one. So if you choose to challenge it or ignore it, make sure that you have the Scriptures from God's Word to back it up. Because that's what Paul was saying here. He was saying, oh, excuse me, do you have your own set of Scriptures you go by? Because this this is based in the Scriptures that we consider holy, that we that we consider inspired. You see... Think about it. Culture shifts, but God's word remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't believe me? Go to your closets. Look at some of the stuff you used to wear. Pull out your old yearbooks and look at the hairstyles you used to wear. Come on, ladies, go back and remember those dresses you wore with the shoulder pads. It made you look like a linebacker. I mean, culture shifts. Words have shifts. All these things have shifted. What was, what was cool then is not cool now. And I'll tell you what, in 10, 15 years, what is cool now will not be cool then. They say that these culture shifts, they last about every 40 years, the pendulum swings back and forth. And you mark my word, as crazy as it is now, there will be a push back to a conservative way of life, and then it will swing back the other way again. 
It's just, it's cyclical in nature. If you study history, it does that. But the one thing that has remained the same through all of that is God's Word. They've tried to burn it. They've tried to ban it. They've tried to not publish it. They've tried to hide it. People have been killed for having it. And it is still alive and well today because it is the active, living, breathing Word of God. To reject or ignore God's teachings will cause you to be ignored by the Lord. That's what it says in verse 38. My friends, if you look at this and say, yeah, I see where it says that, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Well, that's on you, my friend. The only way to experience God's presence in the church is to worship within the order that he has created. Make sure your worship Makes sense. Make sure our worship makes sense. So we we took a long ride around, but I just felt like the Lord told me to kind of broach this because I did not want somebody leaving this service today mad because they think God hates women. That is not what it says here. It just says that there were a few that decided to go on their own and not not follow God's order. And it's not just women to do that. Men do that too. So let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the fact that as we worship, Lord, there is to be order. Now, Lord, your word clearly defines what that order is. And so, dear Heavenly Father, we're going to have a time of invitation this morning. And and I don't know how you have moved, Lord. Maybe someone wants to just come to the altar and pray. Maybe somebody wants to join the church or be baptized or... Maybe just pray where they're at. This invitation is the time for them to respond and for you to work. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?